If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we're in the middle of a series uh, that we're calling iLink. And uh, it's just kind of a thought saying, you know, we live in a time of amazing, amazing technology. And you, you would think with everything out there that we would be an unbelievably connected society. I mean, think about it. We've got uh, email. We've got the Internet. Uh, you can instant messenger people across the globe. Uh, we've got cell phones. And, guys, I'm just going to tell, tell you, when I was growing up, phones went... You know, and they were black and uh, walking around with cell phones. And you've seen these people that are like aliens and they've got this plastic thing out of their ear and they talk to themselves. And I mean, it's just a different time. And, and you, would, you would think with all that going on that we would be like the most linked up generation of all time, that we would be doing relationships and be connected to each other in a more profound and deeper way than ever before. And yet the reality, irony of this generation is we may be the loneliest generation to ever live in the earth. So we just began to say, well, how is that possible? And what does that mean? And what have we forgotten? And what have we missed in how we do relationships that we would be in a time of such connectivity so unconnected to the other people around us. So we got iLink. What does it mean to get linked up, hooked up, the way God really, really intended us to do relationship? And here's what you see hear me say. I know there's some guys in the room and you're going, oh my goodness, sermon series on relationships. Somewhere we're going to have to sing Kumbaya and hold hands. And I, wouldn't, I promise we're not going there, not going to do it. What we're talking about is, what does it mean to have friendships, relationships with people that you know that you know that you know that you know If the bottom dropped out of life, you could call them. And they'd be there and they'd have your back. And what would it mean if there was people who knew that if the bottom fell out of their life, they could call you and you'd stand with them and there'd be no doubt. What does it mean to have friendships, relationships like that in my life? Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you know, we started this out and Really, as we began a journey, we said, you know what the reality is? That this may be one of the most profound topics that we talk about in our entire Christian experience. Because Jesus said, more important than how often you and I pray, more important than how often we make it to church, is how you and I treat the people that God has brought into our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, look, if you find yourself at church, and while you're sitting there, you remember that there's someone that you've got something against, or that has something against you, he says, get up. Go find that person. Fix that relationship. Then come back to church and make your offering. Because God said, you know what? You and I probably are not ready to deal with each other if you've got bad, unsuccessful, wounding relationships out there. Because the truest, you ready for this? The truest measure as to whether or not what I have heard about Jesus Christ has really sunk in and changed me is that it changes how I treat the people God brought into my life. And God just simply said this, look, look, look. Don't treat people the way they deserve. Don't treat people in response to how they treated you. Would you consider treating other people the way I treated you? That's all I'm asking. Would you treat other people not based on their performance, but instead based on how I treated you? And he says, in that moment, everything about your relationships is going to change. One simple principle. So then we come to another item. We're going to get challenged in the whole area of forgiveness. And I guarantee you that every one of us that sits here tonight has been challenged in this area. Every one of us has had a moment in our lives where we blew it. 
And we needed forgiveness. And I can tell you also that chances are every one of us has had a moment which someone needed us to forgive them. And we weren't up to it. Because here's the deal. In that moment when you and I get wounded, in that moment when someone that we trusted betrays, in that moment when we invest everything in someone only to have them walk away, our heart immediately says, I have got to, got to, got to protect myself so that that never, never, never happens to me again. So here's what we do. We open up the backpacks of our hearts. And we say, I'm gonna, I've got to mark this moment. You will never do that to me again. And I'm going to make sure that no one ever does that to me again. So we're going to mark this. So we come to the moments. And we go, that's, that's when you said things about me. Ruined my reputation. Words came out of your mouth that I would have thought that only an enemy would say. And I had thought, you were my friend. This is when we went into business together. And we said we were going to do it and we were going to do all the sacrifices and all the investments and all the rewards were going to be shared. And somehow... You twisted it and turned it and you got it and I was left out. We were dating and you said and I did and you left. I raised you. I raised you. And you turned your back. And we load it up. Our hearts tell us we've got to mark the moment. We've got to be sure that we never, 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 never forget the betrayal so that we never, never, never let it happen again. And so we hold those moments in the backpacks of our hearts. And we carry around with them. And some of us came in here tonight with backpacks full. And, 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 and if I were to ask you, you'd say, well, because that's, that's what you do. That's, that's what you do. People wound you. People hurt you. You mark it. You wait for them to come back and admit they were wrong. And then you got to be able to pull the brick out and say, yeah, you were. Look. Look at the damage. There's others of us in here that say, truth is, Len, I kind of like my backpack. It explains why I'm so dysfunctional. See, people come to me all the time and say, man, you are messed up. And I go, I know I am. You see what my parents did? There's some of us came in here tonight and we would say, you know, Len, I... I think maybe I've been carrying the backpack long enough. Truth is, it's heavy. 
And if someone could explain to me how to get rid of it, I think I'm ready. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend the next few minutes tonight talking about backpacks of anger and hurt and disappointment and betrayal and simply going to ask, what would it mean if I simply did with my backpack what Jesus has done for me? Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Assembly Father, we, we come before you. And God, here's the truth. Here's the bottom line. We came by our backpacks. We came by this stuff. The hurt and the anger and the desire to just be even. We came by that honest. Because the reality is, God, we were betrayed and we were cheated. And innocence was compromised. And God, we've spent a lifetime waiting, waiting for someone to come back and say, I'm sorry. And I was wrong. And you were right. But God, the waiting is killing us. What if they never come back, God? Do I carry this the rest of my life? God, would you, would you just give us the courage to talk about backpacks and forgiveness and to simply do what you would do? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got your Bibles tonight, if you'll go with me, there's this amazing passage about backpacks in the book of Ephesians. There is. It's the backpack passage. It says it right there. You'll fit. Go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. You're going to find this is Ephesians chapter 4, the backpack passage. Now, if you're not more familiar, go to the back, go to the left. You're going to find this, Ephesians chapter 4. And here's what I've got to tell you when you get there. When we first take a look at this, you're going to go, that is the worst advice I've ever seen in the Bible in my life. Uh, it looks absolutely impractical. It looks like something that there's no way you or I could ever, 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 ever do in our lives. Matter of fact, let's take a look. It's Ephesians chapter 4. It's verse 31. Here's what it says. This is Paul writing about backpacks. He says, get rid of all. And some of us need to circle the word All. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That easy. Don't you want to just go, thanks a lot, Paul, for nothing. I mean, can you imagine if you went to a therapist and you go, okay, here's what I got to tell you. Man, I was hurt. I was absolutely betrayed. And the truth is, if I'm honest, I, I've got rage. I've got rage in my life. What do I do? And the therapist looks at you and says, Stop feeling that way. That'll be 89 bucks. You'd go, What? I'm not paying 89 bucks, and I know I'm not coming back for that type of advice. Stop feeling that way. And just about the time that I want to close my Bible and say, Paul, thanks for nothing, I remember. It's Paul writing this. It's Paul. And if there was ever a person in the New Testament who had a right to have a backpack, he's got a right. Think about this. Some of you guys don't know the story. You don't know the journey this guy's been on before he writes this. Paul was probably a young man at the time of Jesus Christ. He's not one of the original 12 apostles. 
He's probably a young man, maybe a teenager, sees the ministry of Jesus, and his initial reaction is to reject it. He doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he spends his early adulthood killing Christians. That's what he was famous for. And then he has this moment where suddenly he goes, Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Jesus was right and he was true. And his whole life changes. He converts, he becomes a Christian. Now in that moment, everybody he had regarded as a friend, every Hebrew, everybody that he had in his life said, Paul, if you're going to convert, man, you're out of here. No way. We hate your guts. And some of the people who used to call him friend are now trying to kill him. I'm thinking that's worth a couple bricks. Then, now, if, guys, if that's not enough, he makes new friends. He makes Christian believers. But here's the problem. Paul doesn't know when to be quiet. He's telling everybody he can find about Jesus Christ. And pretty soon, people are persecuting him. And it gets really expensive to be Paul's friend. And guess what all of his Christian friends do? They all go, hey, Paul, man, you're like too hot a commodity. Tell you what, see you later. In the name of Jesus, bye. And all of his Christian friends flake on him. I'm thinking a few more bricks. I'm thinking if I'm Paul, I'm going, hey. Then he's arrested. You want to hear something? He's arrested and no formal charges are brought. He's a Roman citizen. It's illegal to arrest him with no formal charges. But they do it anyways. And he spends two years, as best we can tell, in jail. No formal charges. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely illegal. You're sitting two years in jail? I'm thinking a couple more bricks. And then, where's God in all of that? I mean, what's God doing? Reading the newspaper? I mean, where's God in all of that? A couple more bricks. And if there was any guy who deserved a backpack, Paul does. And what does Paul say? He says, no, 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 guys, 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 guys. You can't afford it. Get rid of it. Don't allow anger or bitterness or malice to creep in your... No, 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 no. Get rid of it. You can't afford it. And guys, if that doesn't... You need to get... As he writes those words, Ephesians is a prison epistle. He's in jail. As best we get, as best we understand, he's probably at the very moment he writes this, chained to a Roman guard. So as he moves his hand to say, don't be bitter at the people who wounded you, his chains are rattling. And suddenly I go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. If anybody deserved a backpack. He doesn't stop there. He comes back and he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And then, you ready? Forgiving one another. And you know, actually in the New Testament, in the original Greek, there's two different words for forgive. And when you look at the root of this word, the root of this word comes out of the word for gift. And you know what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, when people hurt you, give to them the gift of your forgiveness. When people lie about you, ruin your reputation, dispense to them forgiveness. Now, I know you're thinking, going, why in the world would I do that? That's the craziest, craziest, craziest stuff I think I've ever heard. I think I like to backpack. 
Why? Why would I do that? And before I can answer why you and I would ever, ever, ever consider dispensing the gift of forgiveness to people who have wounded us, people who deserve our anger, people who've never asked for our forgiveness, before I can get you there, you and I got to talk about why we don't. We got to talk about why you and I are so desperately afraid to let the offender off the hook. Why does that cause our hearts such deep and profound fear? And the answer is this. It's because what we believe unforgiveness gets us. So let's just talk for a second or two about four myths, four lies that we've believed about unforgiveness and what causes us to be so desperately terrified about forgiving. Myth number one. Here we go. Hang on. Myth number one. You and I believe at the very core of our being, no one ever said this out loud, no one ever told us this, but boy, we believe it with all of our hearts. We believe that unforgiveness allows us to put emotional chains around the person who hurt us. See, we just think this, if I can be angry enough, if I can be mad enough and bitter enough, that somehow my anger and bitterness will reach across the cosmos wrap around them and they will feel constricted in chains of grief and they'll fall at my feet and say, I was wrong, you were right, forgive me. So here's what happens. We go walking into a room and they're there. You know what I'm talking about, them. And we think to ourselves, who invited them? And then, you know, then they come walking over to talk to us. And they hug us. And then out of politeness, we say, how are you doing? And you know what the proper answer is, right? You know what the right answer? The right answer is, ever since I hurt you, ever since I betrayed you, boy, God has ruined my life. Anybody ever gotten the right answer? Because here's how it usually goes. How are you doing? They go, oh man, my life is so... You heard I got the promotion, right? And we're like... So we think to ourselves, I must not be hating enough. I must not be angry enough. They're not feeling my chains. So here's what we do. We go back to the backpack. And we think, okay, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something I forgot. They walked by me and didn't say hi. They were really weird the other day. And, and you know what? I, I, I think I'm mad at God. God's not getting them yet. And we load it up. There! Did I mention this thing's really heavy? <laughs> Anybody ever succeeded at holding your enemy in emotional change? Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Bitterness and anger and wrath and unforgiveness only have the power to hold one person in chains. Me. Me. It's myth number one. Number two. Somehow we think that if I forgive them, then it means I have to trust them. That if I let them off the hook, if I say, okay, okay, account clean, that then I have to give them all the rights and privileges of our friendship again. That I have to trust them again. 
And I just need to let you know that that comes out of a fundamental misunderstanding about forgiveness and about trust. Here's what you need to know. Trust is not forgiveness. Trust is always earned. It is. It's one of the few things in our Christian life that we have every right to look at a person and say, no, 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 no. I will trust you based on your performance. Which is why when your daughter comes to you and says to you, you don't trust me, the right answer is, you're right. Because based on your performance, I have no reason to. Trust is never owed. Trust is always earned. So it goes like this. Based on their character, based on their past performance, I watch. And I see moments they could have lied and they tell the truth. I see moments they could have cheated and instead did the honorable thing. And after a while I go, you know what? Based on your performance, I think maybe, maybe I can trust you. We might be able to do business together. I might consider buying something from you or maybe even selling something to you. Based on, I think I can trust you. We watch a little bit longer. We see more moments in their life. More times when it would have been easy to do the wrong thing and instead they chose to do the right thing. And, and so we say, you know what? I think we could be friends. I think, I think we could hang out socially. I think you're a trustworthy person based on what I've watched in your life. We watch a little longer and are actually surprised. And so we come to a point and we go, I think I could marry you. We could be husband and wife. That would be totally cool. We watch a little bit longer. And they do the right thing and hold honesty and integrity. And we go, I got, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, I got to admit it. I'm, I'm impressed. I think you can borrow my car. So, <laughs> highest level of trust. Never the remote control, though. Okay. Here's, here's what confuses us. When someone wounds us, they violate this, don't they? And in that moment, this is lost. But what you and I have got to understand is that what really happens in that moment is that person who hurts pours wound in my life, pours grief into my life. Forgiveness says, I'll let you off the hook for that. For when I trusted and you betrayed, for, for when I counted on and you left, for when you said what you said, I'll forgive you for that. And forgiveness is simply saying, look, look, I'm going to choose to treat you the way that Jesus treated me. I'm going to choose to let your account be clean. And it's taking this and walking over to the cross and saying, I'm figuring this. I'm figuring the same Jesus who died for me died for that. And I'm just going to let that be between you and him. So as far as you and I are concerned, we're okay. 
You don't, you don't owe me anything. So you can walk in front of my car while I'm driving and I won't speed up because account clean. But it doesn't change anything here. Which is why husband cheats on a wife. She forgives, she says. Account clean. Friday night comes. He's out till one in the morning. She says to him, where have you been? To which he says, you don't trust me. And the appropriate answer is, not on your life. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. You said you forgave me. To which she says, I did, I did, I forgave you. Which is why you and I can sleep in the same bed and you don't have to fear for your life. But trust is always earned. And I can't give you that. You have to earn it. Myth number three. That somehow if I forgive that person, that it's like rewarding them. It, it, it's like I'm saying it's okay and it doesn't matter that you did that. And, 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 and you can do that to someone else because it's, it's no big deal. And so we think in our hearts that, that if I let them off the hook, then, then they'll just keep repeating. And did you know that Paul says, no, 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 no. That when you and I offer forgiveness to the people who've hurt us the most, it does just the opposite in their lives. Grab your Bibles. I think this is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. Go to the left real quick. It's the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Here's what it says. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, just the opposite. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this... You will heap burning coals on his head. Some of you are going, that's the coolest verse in the Bible. <laughs> wow. I didn't, burning coals, man. How come no one ever preaches on that? Wow, underline, underline. Here's what you got to get. The burning coals, post-forgiveness. Post-forgiveness. See how that works. Remember elementary school? Remember, every day came that same dreaded, heart-dropping moment known as recess. And recess was scary because on the playground was him. Man-child. That, that seven-year-old kid who was already growing facial hair. And you're like, why? How did that happen? And man-child's desire and the seeming mission in life was to cause absolute brutality, pain, and suffering for every child smaller than them. Remember that? Anybody in here was man-child? Come on, admit it. Man, we hated you. And here's what man-child would do. Man-child would wait till you weren't looking. He'd sneak up behind, pop you on the shoulder, and then he'd run. You ever wonder why man-child ran? Because man-child was expecting you to do what everybody else did that he popped in the shoulder. 
You're supposed to chase him and hit him back. And you get, you get what Paul just said. No, 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 no. Don't hit him back. Don't do what your heart tells you. Don't do what everybody else does with hurt and disappointment. Don't do it. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If man-child hits you, sharpen his pencils. Help him with the test. And you go, what, what, what? Here's why, here's why. Because in that moment in which I bless those who've cursed me, in which I help those who've wounded me, in that moment in which I treat them, not based on how they've treated me, but I treat them based on how Jesus treated me, I confuse them. And they have a moment where they go, why, 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 wait, of all the people in the world to bless me, of all the people in the world to treat me with kindness, why you? And suddenly you and I are able to say, because I'm not treating you how you treated me. I'm treating you how Jesus treated me. And then God says, and conscience as burning coals are heaped upon their head. See, the truth is the most powerful way to have your enemy on the hook may be to let him off the hook. Myth number four, real quick. Unforgiveness protects me. That somehow, if I can muster enough anger, it creates like this invisible force field of protection around my heart. See, if I can hate deeply enough, if I can be bitter enough, then all of a sudden it puts like an armor coating on my heart. Because here's what I say, I will never, 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 never feel that way again. So the moment someone comes in my life who begins to even begins to treat me the way that they treated me, I immediately put up my defenses. I push them away and I say, no, 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 no. I've seen that before. Gone down that trail. You're not taking me there. The minute someone new who had nothing to do with the original hurt, even accidentally begins to behave the way the other person behaved. See, then I turn and I go, no, take that. And someone says something, they didn't mean it when they said it. They, they just happened to say something. It sounded like the person who hurt me said. And I go, Whoa. Does that work? Does it work to put up my defenses and say, no, 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 I'll never let anyone get close again. I'll never trust anyone that way again. I'll never let anyone hurt me like that again. Or is the reality what I thought was protecting is actually preventing me from ever having a decent relationship again. Because the minute you remind me of them, I spew my anger, I push back, and you have no idea why I'm doing it. And here's the answer. Somewhere, somewhere in my life, here's what Paul was saying. Get rid of it. Somewhere i got to realize this backpack is way, 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 way too heavy to carry around for the rest of my life. And Paul says, you can't afford it. Forgive. Even though they haven't asked, even though they don't deserve, just forgive. Because it's what Jesus did for you. And in that moment when I get it, I suddenly go, oh my goodness. You mean I don't have to carry that? I don't have to live my life waiting? And God says, absolutely not. You say, Helen, whoa, 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 wait. See, that sounds good in theory, but it sounds really stupid in practice. 
I mean, why would I do that? Why would I forgive somebody who never asked? Why would I forgive somebody who deserved my anger? It's a great question. Go back to Ephesians because Paul's going to answer it. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Here we go because Paul's about ready to seal the deal on backpacks. Here's what he says. Let's start again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Did you get the next line? Just. Just like Jesus forgave you. See, here's what Paul knows and understands and what he's trying to help you and I get is this. As long as you keep looking at the person who hurt you, as long as you stayed focused on them, here's what the answer is going to be. No, 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 no. You don't get how deeply they hurt me. You don't get how wrong they are. They won't even acknowledge it. And as long as your heart stays focused on them, you will never, never, never find forgiveness and it will never, never, never make sense. Guess what Paul is saying? Forgiveness doesn't make sense unless, unless you've been forgiven. Unless you've tasted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And then it makes sense. That I'm not responding to them based on what they deserve. I'm responding to them based on how Jesus treated me. Jesus tells this amazing story. It's Matthew chapter 18. Somewhere you're going to go read this story. It's a parable. and Most of you know a parable is when Jesus tells a story to teach a lesson that's so important he doesn't want us to forget it, so he tells it as a story. And in this story, it's called the story of the ungrateful servant. Here's what happens. There's this servant, and he's working for his master, and one day the master comes in and says, let's see how you're doing. And as they start adding up all the books, it becomes readily apparent the servant owes the master like millions of bucks. And the master goes, how did this happen? The servant goes, I I don't know. Something got away. I don't know. He says, here, I'll make it up. I'll pay you back. I promise I'll pay you every penny back. And it doesn't take long. The master just kind of adds it up. And he goes, if I pay you every day for the rest, you, you can't even come close to paying me back the millions of dollars you owe me. And then the master looks at the servant. Says, how about this? What if we just call it even? What if I just forgive the debt? And the servant says, really? You, you would do that for me? And the master says, yeah. I, I guess all I can do, I'll do that for you. Jesus goes on in the story to say that he then leaves his master's house. He starts walking down the road. And he meets this guy that he knows. This guy that owes him a couple bucks. And I don't know what goes through his mind. I don't know if he says, I'm never going to owe anybody again. I'm never going to be short money again. I don't know what he is. But he goes to this guy who owes him a couple bucks and says, look, dude, give me the money now. And he says, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm so broke. I can hardly feed my kids. And he says, no, no, no. You give me that money now. And he says, I can't. And the Bible says that ungrateful servant threw the other guy in debtor's jail. Well, the master hears about it calls him back in and says, Hey, explain this to me. How in the world could I forgive you millions? And you're putting a guy in for a couple bucks? How's that possible? 
You get what Jesus was teaching, don't you? You get that in that moment, He's saying to you and I, how is it, how is it possible that I could forgive you so much? And then you would turn to the person who hurt you and refuse to give the same forgiveness to them. How's that possible? It's the story of the ungrateful servant. You remember the Lord's Prayer? You know, we say it all the time. Kid throws up on the ground, our Father which art in heaven. The plane's going down, our Father which art in heaven. We say it all the time. You ever listen to what we say? You ever thought about the words? Because there's this line in there where we say, this Jesus said, this is the way you ought to pray. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And if you're Catholic, you're coming back to the background. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You get what Jesus was saying? Pray this way, pray this way. Hey God, just forgive me the way that I forgive people who hurt me. Are you kidding? I'm not going to pray that prayer. Are you going to pray that prayer? I'm never praying the Lord's Prayer again. No way do I want God forgiving me the way I forgive. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That ought to be norm. Because if you've tasted forgiveness, how could you refuse it for others? I guarantee you, some of us are sitting right here and we're going, golly. It's the last thing I want to hear. Because you know what? I don't feel forgiving. I think I'm enjoying not forgiving. I'm willing to forgive if I can get to where I feel like it. Can I just give you some news? If you wait to feel forgiving before you offer your enemy forgiveness, guess how long you're going to wait Forever. Forever. Because I'm just going to say, you will not feel like giving. Because forgiveness is not what I feel about it. It's what I choose to do with it. It's a choice. It's just simply deciding, no, 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 no. I'm not going to treat you based on what you deserve. I'm not going to respond to you the way you responded to me. I'm going to treat you the way Jesus treated me. Lisa and I were driving home a couple weeks ago, pulling the front driveway. And somewhere, somewhere, there's this cosmic rule that men have to carry out the trash. I don't know who came up with that rule. I didn't agree to the rule. I never said the rule. I wasn't sitting there on our wedding day going, I promise to love, honor, and carry out the trash. I never said it. But I'm stuck with it. So we're pulling into the driveway. And as we get together, my wife turns to me, Lisa turns to me, she goes, you know what today is? And I'm like, Sunday? See anything on the road? See, here's the thing. You've got to put the trash out in our neighborhood the night before because the trash man comes at three in the morning. And then, of course, he backs up in front of our house. So my wife walks in. Can I just be honest? 
Not one part of me felt like carrying out the trash. Matter of fact, you know what I felt like? I felt like leaving the trash and proving who's in charge. See what's on the street. And then it occurred to me. It didn't really matter how I feel. Probably be a good time to honor my wife. So I walked over to the trash bin, moved the trash to the street. And can I just confess, there wasn't one moment while I'm moving the trash that I'm going, woohoo, moving the trash, woohoo. <laughs> But I will tell you this, that after I moved the trash and as I was walking into the house, there was a smile in my heart because I knew I had made a smile in the heart of my wife. And here's what I'm just going to tell you tonight if we talk about forgiveness. You're not going to come to this moment and go, woohoo, taking out the trash, forgiving people who don't deserve it, woohoo. And you're going to have to make that step because... You choose to. Because you decide to treat people how Jesus treated you and not how they deserve. But here's what I can also promise. When you get done carrying out the trash, when you get to the other side of forgiveness, your heart's going to smile. Because you know that you made your Lord's heart smile. It happens every time I treat other people the way Jesus treated me. Here's what we're going to do. It's different. We've been doing it all day. You guys have probably seen the crosses. All day long, here's what we've been saying to people. If there's someone, there's someone who's wounded you, who needs your forgiveness, has never asked, doesn't deserve, but needs it, would you consider giving it? Not because, not because they deserve it, but because that's how Jesus treated you. And would you consider writing on a piece of paper. We gave everyone in here that came in tonight a piece of paper. A little square piece of paper. Just something. I don't care. Something that lets you know and lets God know what you're talking about. You can just write car. You can write bad date. I don't care what you write. Would you write it? And would you consider taking it to the cross and saying, I choose. I choose to put this where it belongs. I choose to forgive because that's how my Jesus treated me. And I get it. Some of us aren't ready tonight. Some of us would say, well, then I'm square with everybody. I don't need this tonight. That's okay. But some of us do. And some of us are going to leave here tonight with our backpacks empty because we made our way to the cross. You take that piece of paper, you grab a hammer, you nail it on the cross. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, here's the truth. We came by our anger. We came by our... We came by this honest... We were, we, we, we were innocent. We were wronged. And the truth is, God, we have spent a lifetime waiting for the person who wronged us to confess and to admit and to beg our forgiveness. And the truth is, they haven't come yet. And we still got the backpack. And so we're just saying, we can't afford it. And it's too heavy. And, and that we can't keep waiting and giving 
what people deserve. And instead tonight we choose, we choose to treat people, even our enemies, the way that Jesus treated us. This we do for your glory. Amen. There's a chance tonight that some of us had a name. And uh, we just couldn't bring ourselves. We just, I'm not ready yet. And if that's you, that doesn't Can I just challenge you to take this piece of paper with you? Because somewhere, some moment, you and God are going to do business. You're going to write the name. And you're going to take it to a cross. Some of us here tonight are probably aren't even believers. You haven't even made a decision for Jesus yet. You're going, man, this, this forgiveness stuff is just way out there. I'm not even sure what to do with it. Can I just encourage you? The chances are you came in tonight with a backpack of your own. And not only was in there what people had done to you, there was probably a whole bunch of stuff that you had done on your own. And can I just encourage you in the journey and not to give up or lose heart until you find a Savior who gets rid of that. I just want to say thanks for being here. God bless you.